Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place today. Lord, I ask that for those that are not here today that are out due to sickness and illness, Lord, I ask that you would quicken their bodies, strengthen them, heal them, Lord. I thank you for their uh, quick return. And Lord, for those of us that are here today, may we be strengthened and encouraged by your word. Lord, and may we look to you as the author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. And last week we took up and looked at, yeah, thanks, man. Last week we talked about the, uh, in our series, we talked about our role as priests, right, that God intended from the beginning that not just the Jewish nation, but that we that follow him would be priests and that we would reach out to a lost and dying world and pull them back to him. That's his intent. If you look at the nation of Israel, within the nation of Israel, they had priests that pulled the nation back. And now we are that in the world today. And over the next six months, we're really going to hit this this whole concept of the Bible says that you're a minister. If, if, if I asked you who you were, most of you probably would give me your name, right? You'd say, this is who I am. But that's what, that's what your physical mom and dad named you. What does the creator of the universe call you? That's the bigger question, Right? And that bigger question in Scripture is you are a minister to go out and minister to a lost and dying world and minister to one another inside the church and the fellow believers. That's our identity. And so over the next six months, we're really going to hit this. What would a church, let me ask you, what would a local church look like if everybody sitting in the chairs saw themselves as ministers to their neighbors, their co-workers, the grocery store clerk, and we began to see ourselves as ministers of the gospel instead of just people that go to church on occasion and we're Christians and someday when we die, we go to the sweet by and by. The church would look vastly different. We would, we would be very, very different. We would approach life differently if we really looked at ourselves and saw ourselves like that. And so we are priests from last week. We are priests. All of us are there's this thing in theology called the priesthood of all believers where we care and minister to one another. Today we're going to talk about really our vocation as humans, our responsibilities as humans. What did God, what on earth are you here for? Are you here because 20, 30, 40 years ago, mom and dad decided to Netflix and chill one night? Like... <laughs> That is so old, right? I probably shouldn't use that. That's so old. But, or are you here, are you here for a greater reason and a greater purpose? Is there more to you than just that? I believe there is. The Bible says there is. But here's, here's what has happened in our, in our purpose. Our purpose has fallen from Adam and Eve. From, day, from whatever day that was, I started to say day one, but we really don't know. However long that was, Adam and Eve fell, right? And this thing called sin entered the world. And that's specifically what we're looking at today is this thing called sin. What is it? How does it affect us? 
Because what has happened is that in most church, most churches won't even talk about sin. Like they won't even address it, right? They'll just kind of let it go and hopefully someday in a sweet by and by in your lifetime, God will convict you and whatever. I don't play that way. If the Bible calls it out and Jesus literally went to the cross for it, I think it's something we need to talk about, right? So here's what's happened, though. The church has called sin. We have, we have put fossil fuels, using fossil fuels as a sin versus fornication. We have called social, ju- social justice a sin instead of spiritual justification, We have totally twisted this thing called sin. But really, over and over and over, no matter how we twist it, we keep coming back to the same definition. That sin is somehow something that you do. Well, you didn't use a renewable energy source. You used a fossil fuel, so that's sin. Sin has nothing to do with what you do. So if sin's not about what you do, then when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, wasn't that an action? But what do we define the original sin as? The original sin is, oh, they ate the fruit. Shame on them. But if that's not Jeez, I hope somebody's not dying out there. <laughs> Actually, they're okay. It's a good sign. They're probably, pretend, they're probably like playing and pretending, which is probably something all of us adults need to go back and relearn, right? Amen. Okay, anyway, I'm going to amen that for myself. So sin is not about doing bad things. If sin was about doing bad things, shame on you, you did a bad action, then it's all works-based. Your whole theology is works-based, which then goes back to, well, if doing bad things makes me a bad person, then if I do good things, that'll make me a good person, and that then suddenly is now all works-based either end of the spectrum that you go. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9 says that it's not by works that lest any man should boast, right? We, you can't, that's not how you get into heaven. That's not how you get into heaven. And that's certainly not how you end up on the opposite side of heaven, hell, when you die. It's not because you did a bad thing. Consider this. In the Old Testament, it says that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. God uses a financial term there and he says, Abraham believed and then he was in right standing with God. Now, that is about identity and who you are as a person. And out of that belief, you take action. If, if I watch you long enough, I can tell you what you believe. Because all of your actions stem out of a belief. The reason people rob banks is because they believe they can get away with it. The reason that you go your, the route you drive to work is because you believe probably it's the fastest route. Or if you're a more creative person, you believe it's the most scenic route. Whichever. But you have a belief, and so out of that belief, you create action. And so the issue is not your action. The issue is what you believe in your heart. This is the product and the problem of sin. But we tend to think of sin as a physical action. We think of, okay, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, so shame on them, right? Adam and Eve, be good or else. Israel, be good or else. Okay, I'm a Jesus follower. I better be good or else. 
And that was never the intention. That was never the intention. So as we talk about sin, sin is the Greek word armatia, A-R-M, arm, A-T-I-A. It's an archery term that literally means to miss the mark. You fire the arrow and it, for whatever reason, it deviates and completely misses the mark. Right? So what, when you go back to Genesis chapter 1, he creates mankind. What's God tell humanity? He says, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, and manage it. And then what do we see? We see them walking with God in the cool of the day. We see them communing with God, having relationship with God, running the planet. That's our vocation. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's, that's what we're designed for. But Adam and Eve, that, none, of that, none of that is works-based because that's all based on our identity, who we are. We're supposed to take care of the planet. Yes, right? That's part of that. We're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. It doesn't mean just have babies. The, the word be fruitful literally in Hebrew means... Raise and to send, and then multiply that. Raise them, send them out with a mission, and then multiply that. Is literally what that says in the Hebrew. So when your child leaves home, they leave with a mission, a purpose, and a vision, and they understand who they are and what they are, and then they leave that house, and they go out and live their life on that mission. That's what be fruitful and multiply actually means in Hebrew. When you read in English, you think, okay, we're just supposed to have babies. But that's no. There's so much more to it than that. There's so much more to it than that. Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28, you can just write this down. We are made in God's image, subdue the earth, rule it, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. That's what God commissioned us to do. Now, you say, well, what about Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, right? Because Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 says, God has designed good works for us. You are to be doing good works, but it stems from what you believe on the inside, right? It, it, it's all about what's on the inside. And so if that's the case, then sin isn't an action, but rather sin is missing the mark from your design purpose, See, sin is not you did a bad thing, so shame on you. Sin is to miss the mark from your design purpose. Oh, sh how many of us be like, oh, I let that word slip out. Shame on me. That's not. The reason you let the word slip out is because somewhere deep inside of you, you felt the need that you had to use that to get your point across when Jesus himself said, just let your yes be yes and your no be no, and people will understand that you're a person of your word. But you took it one step, said, well, Jesus, sorry, that wasn't good enough. I need to add an exclamation to this. And then, th th this is why, how many of us, well, I, you know, how many of you hear this? Well, I didn't want to really tell them the truth because it would hurt their feelings. Their feelings is really none of your business. We're supposed to tell the truth. When I refuse to tell you the truth because I don't want to hurt your feelings, here's what happens. I stunt your maternal growth because I rob you of an opportunity to grow through 
that truth and begin to work that truth out. When I lie to you because I don't want to hurt your feelings, what I'm doing is I'm usurping God and saying, God, I don't think they could really handle the truth even though you told me not to lie to them. So I, God, I don't, So in that moment, you choose to play God. Why? Because inherently inside of you, you think you can. This was the problem with Adam and Eve. Well, God said not to. Yeah, but... And you know what? They, we do this all the time, but we don't... I, I just picked lying because that was an obvious low-hanging fruit, no pun intended from the sermon today. But I just picked that because... That was obvious, but we do this in all sorts of ways where we try to play God in some sort of way because we think we can know, and then we go against what Scripture says. Don't we? Okay, look at your neighbor and go, you're not God. Look at your other neighbor and say, I know that. I, Josh, I don't know who you're talking to. It's the wall. You're literally talking to the wall. All right. <laughs> All right, I will, I will tell Beth when I see her. Anyway, all right. So we have to stop this idea that sin is doing something bad. Sin is being. It is in us inherently, right? I mean, let, me, let me tell you when you're kind of on that cliff, when you can start examining your own heart, when you start to use words like, I think, or it's just, it's just this once, or it's just, you fill in the blank, right? It's just, or I think, or here, here's another one, it's only. Do you notice what all of the, it, it, I think, it's just, it's only, those are all justification phrases for me to be able to put myself on the throne and be what I want to be, not what God says, you're doing the same thing Adam and Eve did. So here we are, several thousand years later, still just picking the same fruit. Because the, re it, the act of eating that fruit was just an outward action of what was really on the inside. You know what I've been talking about? Let me give you the word I've been talking about. Idolizing. Idols putting what I want in front of what God says. That's sin. That, that's, that's idolizing. God said, I couldn't do this. Do you, do you realize it's not the tree of evil? You realize she did not eat from the tree of evil. The Bible doesn't call it the tree of evil. God says, I give you two options. In fact, God actually says you can eat from anything, just not that one. And you know if you've ever had kids, you can tell them, you can play with anything in the house, just don't touch that. Guess where they're going to go? Right, the first thing. Wow. Right? And what's God say? God says you can eat from any tree. You can have anything that I've created. And there's the tree of life, and you can have the tree of life. And then he says, or you can have the from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can seek out and try to learn right from wrong for yourself. It's not the tree of evil. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Go out and venture and try to figure out right and, right and wrong for yourself or the tree of life and have communion with me and trust me. 
And it's the same decision that we all still face. I'm going to go out on my own and find knowledge for myself and do it myself. And I'm going to idolize my ideas and what I think is right and wrong. It's the, same, it's the same two trees, people. Or I can trust and walk with God and partake of almost anything that I want, provided that God says yes. It, it, it's a pretty powerful concept, really, when you stop and think about it. That was the chief sin, was idolizing in my heart this above what God says. Telling the little lie so I don't hurt their feelings, idolizing that over what God says. The real sin is idolizing anything above God and idolizing something above your purpose of what God's created you to be. And we do that all the time. We, we, we idolize things and put things on the shelf like, oh, if I could just reach that. I could just reach that. And then we're like that kid reaching up for the cookies, stacking boxes and chairs. Just if I could just get that, if I could just get that, if I could just get that. And inevitably what happens, it all comes crashing down. And then God steps in and goes, what are you doing? Well, I'm trying to get that. And God's like, I put that up on the shelf away from you for a reason. Right? But we decide we want it because we think we know, we have the knowledge to be able to discern the difference and do it ourselves. And God's like, no, 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 you don't. So when we begin to idolize things and we begin to twist our purpose, ask any mechanic. Take a tool and use it for what it's not intended for. And ask them what will happen to the tool or to the thing that you're working on, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work. And so what happens is when we begin, we begin to idolize things. And Paul addresses this when he writes to the Christians uh, in Rome, in Romans chapter 1, 23 tw through 25. He says, here's what we've done. He goes, we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, and animals, and reptiles. Leave that up for a minute. This is into my notes. I just want to share this because I think this is fascinating. If you, if you do a quick study of human history and what humans have worshipped through recorded history, their gods, their little idols that they would worship, now we still have idols, we just don't carry them around and bow to them, but we have idols, right? Yes, you guys are nodding, so you're with me. There's, there's a process here. If you study human history, they started with reptiles, work it from right to left. They started with reptiles, animals, birds, and what's the very last thing that humanity will worship? Themself. You can study this out. Paul's not dumb. Paul is not just a religious leader. I would put Paul on the same plane as Socrates and Plato and some of the greatest thinkers in human history. He's not dumb. He writes the process. He just writes it in reverse. And if you study human history, you'll notice the idols that are made all follow this. Where do you think we are today, though? We're worshiping ourselves and what we want and how we're the things that we want. Our knowledge, we worship we worship science. We worship the environment. We worship politics. We worship sports. We worship all sorts of, we idolize all sorts of other things other than God himself and aligning ourselves with our purpose. And therein is the idolization, and Paul's going to continue the process in the next verse, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over 
in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the, de for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And then he goes on in verse 32. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they do not continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. He goes, they don't only begin to twist their purpose and twist their knowledge and twist things to satisfy themselves. They parade it. They encourage people to go do it and to twist God's design. God's design. They encourage and they promote people to go out and twist the things that God has created. Why? Because they value themselves and they worship themselves and they worship humanity over God. Here's the thing. Whatever you worship, you become. You will worship something. Everybody worships some sort of ideology. Everybody gives themselves to something. The, the issue is not whether or not I believe. You will always believe. You'll believe there's no God. You'll believe maybe there is a God, but he's not whatever. You will always believe. The act of worshiping is placing your belief into something. So if I believe the Bible and I believe that I want to be in line with God's purpose for my life, then I will become more like God and more like Jesus and what he's called me to do. But if I blow that off, I will become more of what I am. And I will begin to idolize myself and my own ideas. I will exchange my created purpose for my own ideas to set myself up as God. The result, Paul says, when he write, writes to the Christians in Rome, he says the result is, is that we then end up swapping God's desires for our own desires, and then we get, then as a result, creation becomes twisted. Relationships become twisted because it's more about what I want than what God says. And that ranges from everything from what I find attractive to what I don't find attractive. It carries out in every area of life. And so really when you think about this, you're going to want to take a picture of this and you're, going to want to you're not going to be able to process this right now. Some of you will get it. Some of you will have to take a picture and think about it over the week. because I'm about, So we're going deep with this phrase. Sin, therefore, has less to do with an outward action, but more to do with an inward idolatry. The idolatry is the desire to reflect our wants into the creation, thus corrupting creation from its original purpose and twisting our responsibility to reflect God in his creation. I'll let you take a picture of it and think about that for a minute. That when sin enters you, enters into you, and you are born idolizing everything other than God's kingdom, you begin to project your desires and your wants into creation, and it begins to warp and twist creation. The, Paul, Paul wrote in Romans, he, he even said, he said, all of creation groans for the day that Christ would return and untwist. It's like we went to the grocery store yesterday. And we came home with all these groceries, and we bought bread. And bread has this thing on it. Have you noticed it? It's a tie. It's a little wire. Why does that one stupid wire around the bread cause bad words to enter my mind? <laughs> Have you ever tried to untwist it but find out you're twisting it the wrong way? 
and you can't figure it out, and you spend five minutes just trying to get a piece of bread. You guys are, are you laughing at me or with me? I don't know. It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But this is what Paul's writing. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He says, when you begin to project your wants and your desires into creation, you begin to twist creation. And what do, we, what do you think we have wars and all kinds of weird things as people projecting pride and lust and jealousy and their wants and their desires into creation and so that it becomes twisted. And all the more, every time we try to in our own power to untwist creation, we're not opening the loaf of bread, which is Jesus, the bread of life. I just made that connection. Isn't that great? But... What we're doing is just twisting it further. And the Bible tells us in Romans, the same book, that the creation is groaning. Oh, just twist it right. Just turn it right. And creation saying, I can't wait till Jesus, the bread of life, comes back and twists this thing back to where it's supposed to be. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. That as a result, because we're worshiping ourselves, then I want to love someone that looks like me. I want to exchange my affections for somebody that looks like me. I want to do something that expresses me instead of expresses God. And the result is, is you further twist and malign creation. Until God says, okay, I'm just going to have to come back and put all this back. And I'm, to, I'm going to have to fix all of this. When we get to 2 Corinthians, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 19 and verse 21. He says, all this is from God who reconciled himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Let's stop right there. Now, we talked some about this last week, right? Our role as ministers is to reconcile, to bring back into right standing. Part of our jobs as Christians is to get those that are around us that are not in right standing with God, reconcile them and bring them back to a place where they go, ah, I get it, I'm twisted. And I need to stop idolizing my own wants, my own desires, my own needs, and begin to idolize Christ and put Christ on the shelf in my heart and bring that reconciliation. He said, this is why Christ came. Because all of the rules to try to show you, all the rules in the Old Testament to show you that Christ needs to be first in your heart and who you are and identifying with God, all those rules that says, hey, you need to identify with God. Your being, who am I, needs to be identified with God. He says, okay, Christ says, okay, well, we're, we have to approach this differently now. We have to approach this differently. And so Christ then gave himself as to reconcile us. Go on to the next verse. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them as he committed to us the message of reconciliation. He says, Paul says, God has given you the message of reconciliation to reconcile and begin to untwist this world so that there's a right way to do things. But the reason that you do things the right way, the way God wants, is because of who you are inherently inside, because you have Christ as number one, everything else falls in line. But we still want to pull Adam and Eve and go, well, I'm not sure. Did God really say that? Did Jesus really mean? I mean, if you look at how Satan interacts with people in the Bible, he always starts with questions. It always starts with questions. 
well, why did he say that? Are you sure about that? Are you sure? Look how he tempted you. Are you sure? So why don't you just pluck at this? And the minute you decide to pluck at that in your heart, that action, you're making that action because you've already decided to put something else in place of where Jesus needs to be. Uh, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of Jesus, to be in right standing with God. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, in those four verses, three times you have this process. Jesus' death, reconciliation. Jesus' death, reconciliation. Jesus' death, reconciliation. Three times in four verses, Paul says, Jesus has to come in and rectify this situation so that those that would believe in him would be on the cutting edge of his kingdom invading earth. That God would have people in the, on the planet, humans on the planet, that would say, Jesus comes first, I come second, even if it doesn't make sense to me. And the kingdom begins to spread. In verse 21, it says the righteousness of God, or literally those in right standing with God, so that from that moment when we step in and begin to have this cutting edge new way to be human and say, no, 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 I'm not going to be one of the humans that fall in line with what Adam and Eve did. As Paul says in Romans, I'm going to follow the second Adam, which is Jesus, and follow in line with what he said and what he did, right? So that in the end... The Apostle John in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, paints a picture like this. And they, that's you and I, in heaven, they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And your blood, and with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Heaven's going to be like the most diverse place you've ever seen. Just throw that out there. And you have made... You have made them to be a kingdom and priest, that's you, to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So we get to this scene where heaven and earth are now connected at the end of all things. Heaven is no longer someplace that we think of out there imaginary. You literally can see heaven, and you can see earth. And it's all interacting together. And this is all about, in verse 10, he talks about reigning. He's talking about you reigning. You're in charge. Why? Because you've learned in this life to suppress what you want and do what the king wants. And so because of that, he says, you know what? You're now going to be set up to reign and rule in earth and in heaven. And so for a thousand years, when heaven and earth are together, you will rule and reign. But you rule and reign not by fighting for what you want and your natural fallen desires. You rule and reign because you've learned to yield yourself to Jesus no matter the cost. There, there's a big lesson here. You have to be a great follower before you're ever a good leader. You have to learn to follow before you can ever lead it's true in business. It's true in the kingdom of heaven. This whole phrase, like, well, they got the promotion because it was all about who they knew. I news for you. Getting into heaven is all about who you know, too. It doesn't change. And it's kind of how this works. Don't, 
don't get angry about it. Just get to know the right people. Learn to network, right? Get to know Jesus. This is my closing statement for today. This is God's invitation through the cross. Come, be in right standing, and operate as a priest by reflecting me in all of creation. That's your original goal. That was what humanity was set here on earth to do. Reflect God in creation and rule and reign over the earth the way God rules and reigns in heaven. That was our original thing. But we said, thanks for the tangible world and the cosmos. We'll take it from here. We got this, and we'll do it how we want. That's essentially what Adam and Eve did. They idolized their ability to do it themselves. That's sin. Sin is missing the mark from what God designed you to do and what God designed you to be. And the only way you can know what that is is by aligning yourself with Jesus and saying, I'm sorry that I have idolized sports above you. I am sorry that I have idolized my own family above you. I'm sorry that I have idolized money above you. I'm sorry for acting like Adam and Eve. Forgive me so that I can bring myself in alignment with you. Because Paul, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, that's why our world is so twisted. Because we project our wants and our desires, which are naturally sinful, into the world. And so, as priests of the kingdom of God, if we're to reconcile this world and bring it back into right standing, every day when I get up, all right, thank you, God, for giving me another day to follow and to worship you. Thank you for giving me another day to reconcile this fallen world to you and to fight against the enemies of darkness. That's why you wake up. So that you train your children how to fight the darkness. Listen, I, I hear this all the time, and I know you guys have heard me say this, and I'm going to say it again. We keep saying, well, I'm trying to make a better world for my kids. That is the most anti-biblical thing you could ever say. Jesus said the world will get worse and worse and worse and worse. Jesus said that. John said that. Paul said that. What we have to do as parents is build better kids for a worse world. That's biblical. Building better kids for a worse world. That's how you can project and go out into the world and say, today I'm being Jesus. Because I'm building kids that are going to, I'm going to, I'm, I've, I'm going to be fruitful, and I'm going to multiply and send my kids out with direction and purpose to realize that they are designed to be in the image of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. And if you're here this morning, as we close out in song, and it, it, I'm just going to ask that as we sing, if you would just search your heart, if you've been idolizing something above Jesus, I'm going to ask you to give that to him. And pray. Steve and Josh will be over here on the side. If you need prayer, if you need prayer over here, Steve and Josh will be over here. But I, I want you to understand that sin, sin is not what you do. That action is just the result of what's already inside of you. And so if you're saying, huh, where did that come from? Because inside of you, it's still there. God, forgive us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just ask that you would forgive us for idolizing things above you. 
Forgive us for still walking in the first Adam and not walking in the second Adam. Forgive us for projecting our own wants and our own desires into the world, which only further twists and corrupts creation. So much so that you say, okay, go that way if that's the way you want to go. God, no, we want to go your way. Lord, let us stop idolizing ourselves and our wants and our desires. And Lord, may we project you through the power of the Holy Spirit. May we protect, protect, project Jesus into a fallen world. In Jesus' name, amen.